0: Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Yeah, so thank you everyone for, for, for joining us this evening. Um, yeah, we're glad that we can still meet on this platform. Um, and yeah, we just realized that this is such an important time to have this talk um, and really just to, um, yeah, to take some time and and to talk about relevant issues. So Tonight, we've got a few specialists that are going to share with us. Um, Yeah, and I really want you to just um, open your hearts to receive from them. The first one will be Miranda. And we also have Anna-Marie Levening, who is joining us from the UK. So we're really privileged to have her as well. Um, And Jade is also with us. Um, I think we all know Jade. Um, (laughs) So, um, yeah, I'm just going to... So we just ask Jay to pray for us as the psychiatrist. And um, yeah, then I'll start the introductions. Let's pray. Father, thank
1: you, Lord, that we can just come together, Father, as, as your children. Thank you that we can sit at your feet, Lord. Thank you yeah, that your word says that you are a comforter, Father. And thank you so much for that, Lord. And I thank you also, Father, that you just create provision for us to have avenues that we can seek, Lord, when things get tough, Father, but knowing that, that ultimately we can just lay at your feet, Father. And I thank you for that, Father. I thank you for the privilege of being your children. And I pray, Lord, for tonight. Um, I ask, Lord, that you would just bless the conversation. I pray for your wisdom to reign. Mm-hmm. yeah, I just thank you that we have the privilege and the opportunity, Lord, to grow and learn from one another and, and seek counsel from one another.
0: We just bless you, Father. Amen. So you're going to see two angles now. Uh, Ms. Mezen is just trying to sort out our technical difficulties. Um, in the in the Zoom era, we know there's always something that goes wrong. Um, but hopefully, <laughs> she will be able to fix it now. Um, we'll switch over to the other camera. Are you, are you ready, Mezen? Okay. So um Miranda, I think we all know Miranda, she was in our congregation um until up until uh, last year, beginning of last year, uh when they moved to George. Um Miranda is a, a she's got a degree in um psychology that she got from the University of UJ. Um so she's also registered as a, a Christian um psychologist. She's sorry, she's registered um as a Christian counsellor. Um, and she really has a heart for for adolescents as well, Um, and for grief counseling, um, childhood trauma, and many different things, Um, adult relationships, marriage, counseling. Um, I think many of us have gone to her when we've needed to talk to someone. Um, She also has four amazing children that all serve God and that are really solid, so she's really someone that you can all look up to. Um, and she will be sharing with us first. And then afterwards, Anna-Marie Liefning will be sharing with us. Um, I got to know Anna-Marie when she was still a student in Stellenbosch, before she was uh, (laughs) a clinical psychologist. Um, And we also served together at Somerset West Shofar. And Anna-Marie, she is, um, sorry, she's a, a chartered clinical psychologist Um, working in in London, in East Horsley. So she's an international uh, therapist specializing in clinical psychotherapy, life transitions and personal personal growth. So tonight we're really excited to have them sharing with us. Um, Jade is also, um, well, Jade is a psychiatrist. Um, She will be sharing with us next week, but we're also honored to have her here with us. Um, So I just like Miranda, uh, you've got the floor, please. Can you share with us? She'll be sharing about grief um, and um, just handling grief and trauma.
2: Thank you so much, Rochelle, for this opportunity. Um, can you all hear me? Yes. Can you hear me? OK, great. Thank you, Rochelle and um, Yes, It's an opportunity and I'm very privileged to just be part of you again. Um, I actually realized how much I've missed you, you know, when I'm speaking to you now, I can see, Wow, I've actually missed my Joburg people. So greetings from Wilderness, and um, I think I'm going to just start straight away as we don't have much time, and I thought it would be a good thing to start off just to um, shortly just define what trauma is, because I think a lot of people just use the word without really knowing what it really is. So trauma is the response to a deeply distressing and disturbing event that overwhelms one's individual ability to cope. And it may cause feelings of helplessness. It really diminishes a person's sense of yourself and your ability to feel a range of emotions and experiences. So one often feels numb, you feel emotionally numb, and, you know, I've often heard people say that they don't actually know who they are anymore after they've lost somebody or after they've been through trauma. They have this identity loss. So that is a typical symptom of being through a trauma. Now, the thing with trauma is, you know, when we grow up, we, um, you know, we know we, we grow up with that sense of security, knowing that life is what it is. There's order, there's a routine, um, everything's predictable. Uh, you don't expect anything bad to happen. But when a traumatic event happens, it really shocks us. And the result of that is that we realize that life is not safe and it's not predictable. So some way we start thinking that anything bad can happen because we always thought everything was predictable. And that often creates fear and confusion, you know, and if we don't deal with the trauma in a very focused way, then that fear and that confusion will persist, and it will impact the way that we live and how we feel, how we make decisions. It will definitely impact our behavior. So it's really important, this topic, to talk about how to deal with trauma, how to deal with our, um, you know, our way of actually coping so, together with trauma, there's always a lot of grief and mourning. So, first of all, I want to just say there's no right or wrong way to grieve and to mourn. You know, talking about a person who died, crying, expressing your thoughts and feelings through art, music, journaling, praying, celebrating special anniversary dates. Um, All of those are good things and good examples of mourning. Um, You know, making the choice to not just grieve, but authentically mourn prove the courage and confidence to actually integrate this traumatic event. If we get stuck in, in grieving, you know, it's just experiencing those emotions all the time, experiencing the loss and the emotional pain. So we actually need to move from grieving to engage with a process of mourning, where, um, you know, grief is actually just experiencing the pain, while mourning is more about expressing it and letting it out, making it more public. I'm sure all of you know that there are five stages of grief, according to the Elizabeth Kubler-Ross model. And I'm just going to go through them quickly. I know I don't have much time and I've got a lot to say. So it's important before we start is to realize that these stages don't necessarily have to follow one another. You can actually bounce between all five of the stages and come back to them again. So it doesn't mean that once you've done one, you've finished with it. All right. And the first one is denial. Um, And often people would try and... Tell you you know you're in denial you mustn't deny but denial has a place and denial actually helps you initially to minimize the overwhelming pain of the loss just a natural uh, way that you try and say but this can't be you know this doesn't this didn't happen and it actually gives us time to to think about it and take the event one step at a time So we're trying to survive emotionally when we start denying it. And it is difficult. It is very hard to believe that the person that's died or the person that you loved is not going to be there with you. And one must remember that your reality has shifted completely the moment of that loss, you know, and your mind actually needs time to adjust to this new reality. So that time is what we call the denial, our, mind is, our minds are still uh, locked in, but no, but this didn't happen, it couldn't have happened, but it just needs time to to shift, to actually think, okay, but this is my new reality. All right, so then the second stage, which according to the model is anger, because we are trying to adjust to this new reality and it's very uncomfortable, it causes a lot of discomfort not something we wanted or we even had time to plan for. So it does cause anger. And we must remember that it's, it's sometimes easier for us to um, express anger than it is to admit that we are scared. You know, uh, I think society actually accepts anger much easier than accepting people admitting that they are afraid. You know, so it allows us to express our emotion. Um, with less fear and less judgment. But it also can create isolation because now people don't know how to approach you because you are angry in a time where we actually need to connect and we need to allow people to comfort us and reassure us. Often we then move into bargaining. Um, You know, this is a time where we start thinking that you know this. This might be true, but maybe I can still do something. Maybe I can still bargain with God, especially in the process where we haven't lost the person yet, but we can see it is coming. That we start bargaining with God and, and, and we start praying things like, "Lord, Lord, if you could just heal this person, you know, I will really turn my life around. I'll promise to do better. I will." You know, you will do, you become so desperate that you say you will do anything to try and reverse the situation. And um, it's it's an attempt of us to try and gain some sort of control, although we realize that this is something we have no control over. Um, The next stage that we often sometimes or most of the time get is the depression. And this is an experience of processing our grief. And it comes at a time when we, after the initial shock, we've calmed down a little bit. And we start to look at reality and reality sets in. And, um, you know, we start to feel the loss of that person. We start to miss that person. And then there's a lot of sadness, um, maybe sometimes feelings of guilt, which contribute to the depression. And... What is important to notice here is that we might find ourselves retreating. We're less sociable. We don't reach out to people as much as we should. Um, it's natural. It's a natural thing to try and, and actually avoid people. And we often think that if we can avoid people and we can actually try and deal with the loss um, on our own, then we could actually try and fix ourselves and then move back to community. And then say, okay, well, now I'm okay again. Now I can re-enter my small group or re-enter my community. It's actually not a wise thing to do. It's actually better to just go and grieve with people that care for you. Don't try and go through your depression on your own and try and fix yourself and think that when I'm good enough or better enough, then I can sort of go back to my my friends and my family and my small group. So the depression can be a longer time or a shorter time. Uh, But normally after depression, there comes a time of slow, slow acceptance. This is when we realize that we need to deal with it. We can still feel the pain and the loss, although we're not really resisting the reality of what has happened and resisting the situation. This often happens when we really just submit everything to God and say, Lord, come and restore my heart. I cannot deal with the sadness. So everyone grieves differently. And there's no, as I've said, there's no right and wrong. The way that you grieve is totally unique to you. And it's also unique in the relationship that you had with the person. So it's acceptable to take your time, all the time you need, and to process your, your grief. Um, it's important to realize that according to research, most people, um, you know, those symptoms of grief, the depression, the sleeplessness, the loss of appetite, they seem to peak around about six months after the traumatic event. So, but it does depend on how you actually process it. So it's good to just know that if you feel very, very down again and you thought you're over it, but now it's like really, if you're all over depressed and all over in denial and shock, and that's quite normal. I don't think you should put yourself in a little box and say, this is what needs to happen. All right, so I'm just going to run through. I just want to check my time. I see my time's going very quickly. So I'm just going to run through a few guidelines. First of all, don't try to forget or avoid your pain. Um, This will just block your connection with God and the connection with his family. So try to really um, face it and embrace. I always tell people, facing your pain, embracing your pain is the only way to deal with it. You do this by identifying and acknowledging your feelings. You can take a piece of paper and start writing. You know, start a a process of free writing, journaling. It's your platform to express and acknowledge your pain on paper without feeling you need to hold back because the person, if there's a person, they won't be able to contain you. Or you can just let go of your emotions and express as much as you can of your um, brokenness. So journaling also helps to create a sense of order just by jotting it down and writing it down, it already calms your brain. It gives you that opportunity to tell, to, to, to try and create order that you don't feel so totally overwhelmed and distressed. Um, another thing that I also like to do with people is to actually encourage them to make a collage that uh, expresses their pain. So go and get a few pictures, write words. Google images and cut them out and just put them on a nice size poster. You know, when you're doing that, you're actually physically working with your pain, actually physically dealing with it and you're putting it out there. Now you are forced to actually embrace it. You're forced to look at it. So you can't avoid it. You can't um, let it go. You're forced to embrace Then you can talk through it, you know, talk through each picture, why you chose that picture, What does it symbolize? What is the pain in that picture? Um, You know, talk through with a close friend or with a counselor or somebody that can really help you process that. The Holy Spirit is so, so faithful to actually bring so much hidden thoughts, hidden regrets, hidden guilt. When you start working with a collage, it just helps you to remember things that you've even forgotten. And once you've worked through the pain, One starts remembering the good things. You actually start remembering good memories and joyful memories. Once you've done that, you can even pray through every picture and release the pain to God, release the feelings, the resentment or the hurts, the disappointments. Right, another very important thing is be very compassionate with yourself. Take care of yourself. Don't try and do all the uh, um, trauma debriefing or the the loss, you know, the mourning in one day or one week or even one month, take it slowly, take your collage slowly, do it slowly, take one day at a time, all right? Another thing that we can do is to write letters to the people that we've lost, really just trying to bring us to a place where we can have an opportunity to express what's in our hearts. Uh, There's a lot of healing in that. One more thing that I want to just quickly mention, I see I've got about five minutes to go, is that we, um, another thing is that how do we offer comfort to other people? How can we actually extend grace and comfort and healing to other people in this time? Because we are really all suffering and there's so many people hurting that we need to help each other. We are now often say to my family that, we are um thanks rachel she says i have more time (laughs) thanks so we often you know we we so overwhelmed with things but what i often say to my family is that god puts us in families because he knows we need each other and when the one person is down the other person is there to pick them up when the one person is suffering there's other people that can help so if you don't have a very close family you have a Christian family, you have a, a spiritual family and we need to be vulnerable enough to reach out to them, you know, and, and say to them, look, we need help. And if you, the person extending the help, I just going to mention a few things that you can do. First of all, make yourself accessible and available and communicate. that. Uh, offer space for people to grieve. You can let the person know that you're available when they are ready to talk. You know, often people just can't get themselves to talk, um, they need time, but you can say to them, I know you need time, but when you're ready, I'm here, you know, you can invite them over to talk with you, invite them to go for a walk with you if it's, you know, we need to uh, meet in open spaces, all of those things, but we can still meet, you um, Then another thing that a lot of people ask me is how do I actually go about it? They feel very inadequate. How do I actually help somebody who's just lost a husband or uh, a child or a grandparent? What do I do? And all I can say to those people is just be yourself. You know, be kind, listen without offering specific advice. This is not the time to tell the person what he should be doing or shouldn't be doing, what you think he should be doing or not. You just need to listen. Listen without judgment, listen with compassion, be kind and comfort. Just offer a shoulder to cry on. Um, Another thing that you can do that really helps is acknowledge their loss, acknowledge their pain, acknowledge their feelings and validate their emotions. Acknowledgement and validation of emotions are key for a person to feel feel understood. They feel understood and they feel cared for. They feel that their emotions are contained because they are in a safe space where somebody actually understands what they're going through. So if you can say to the person, I can understand this must be terrible for you. This is not easy. This is tough. You've known the person for so long. Um, you know, this is this is really, really, really heartbreaking. You know, you're actually are validating their emotions. You, you're allowing them to express more and more and more when you validate emotions. Don't say to them um, things like, you know, let's think of what we can do. Let's go for extra exercise. Let's go and get up. Let's do... Um, and find something that makes you feel better. know, they don't need this type of advice right now. All they need is somebody who listens and acknowledges and tries to comfort. Somebody that will understand without really even giving any advice. You don't have to give any advice. Um, so another thing that I just want to quickly mention is what we call grief bullies or grief bullying. Is that we, when we listen to people, we desperately want to help them so much that we try to help them just get over it quickly. You know, just to say things like, "You know what? This is terrible, but everybody's going through this." You know, I heard of somebody else who had a very similar problem, or who lost even more people. Or, you know, you try and just help the person see that that you're not the only one. But this is not the time to tell them you're not the only one, you know. Um, people would say things like, oh, you've been grieving so long now, maybe you should, you know, maybe you should get over it now, or um, everyone's going through a tough time, or try and get a grip on yourself, or, you know, you should be doing that now, you should, those are wrong things to say, and I actually call that like a type of emotion, a, a bully, a grieving bully. What you could rather do, is to remember that God actually created in us, when he designed us, when he designed our brain, he actually provided a way for us to overcome trauma. And this is the way that, um, you know, when we were born for instance, if you think of a young little baby, that baby, um, you know, when the baby sees a person, uh, the mom or the dad, those people are normally smiling, Those people take care, they soothe the baby when the baby's crying, they have loving, smiling faces. Everything they do actually creates a sense of joy in the child. And that is repeated right throughout his childhood days. You know that when the parent picks him up, gives him a hug, smiles, comforts, it always brings the child back to a place of joy. So your brain is actually wired then to go back to a place of joy. And we are actually created. We our brains actually then start, they regulate our emotions, and our emotions all go back to that place. If we have been strengthened in that thing of being, you know, people are, are glad to see us. You think when they see us, they hug us, they give us a you know, a big smile, they are glad to see us. That all creates joy. So, in a sense, joy is such is such a part of being human. And it's also relational. So, um, you know, the essence of joy is to be in relationships. So I just want to encourage you to really reach out to your community, reach out, strengthen relationships, try and create more and more joy in your relationships, because that will ultimately help you to to regain that strength of um, joy in your life. Um, I was just thinking, um, I know I'm going to end off here because Anna-Marie is going to talk about resilience. But i just like to mention something that, you know, we can really strengthen our relationships with people close to us, our family, our friends, but also strengthen our relationship with the Lord. You know, I, I love to um, think back on, on, on Dave. He's always such an example to me. On, where, on the way he dealt with, with grief and mourning and how he also dealt with trauma. So this is a story in 1 Samuel 30 where David was fighting a war and there was some um, enemy who came in, attacked his city and he loo- they looted the city. They actually took all the cattle. They took all the women, all the children as captives. They took them away. They burnt all houses down. So when David and his men came back, they were absolutely devastated. They were tired, they were hungry, they had no strength left and they came back to a city that was totally looted, houses burnt, wives taken away, children taken away. Um, And it's interesting to read, you know, if you go and read 1 Samuel 30, it actually says there that David and his men Grieved, they grieved aloud until I think the word says until they had no more strength to weep. They lifted up their voices and wept until they had no strength left to weep. To weep. So they they just fo- they just let it out. They just wept until they had no strength left to weep. Um, and then interesting after this. You know, after the weeping, after the mourning, after the grieving, now they take action. And David, the word says, David was greatly distressed because even the men, David's men, were so upset that they wanted to stone him. You know, they were bitter in spirit. The word says they were bitter in spirit because of their sons and daughters that were taken captive and, and, and taken away. Then in the word says, the, but David found strength in the Lord, his God. And he called for the epod and he inquired from God what to do now. So God is a very practical God. He allows time for us to weep, to grieve, which we should also allow ourselves to weep and grieve. Do the journaling, do the collages, speak to people, reach out. Allow yourself to be comforted. Allow yourself to receive comfort and love from people from God. And after that process then we inquire from God and then God will actually the Lord normally gives us an instruction because then when we have something to do and we have some goal to walk to, to work towards that also, it's a very practical way of overcoming our grief and moving forward with our lives. But I think Anna-Marie is going to talk about that and she's going to tell us more about um, resilience, how to cultivate resilience and build um, that rebounding that we need. Thank you so much.
3: Great. Thanks, Miranda. It's lovely to be with you all. I hope you can hear me Um, coming across the oceans from the UK. So um, it's a treat to be back metaphorically in South Africa. Um, Yeah, we're going to speak about resilience. Um, I'm just going to launch in. So the definition of resilience is really a capacity to recover quickly um, from difficulties and almost if you imagine kind of an, an elastic band. So it's that elasticity. And I think why resilience is so important is it helps us twofold. So it helps us, if you think of, say, a physical injury, like if you were to fall and to break a leg, um, where you've built up resilience, where you're maybe fit and quite strong and your muscles are strong, you heal a lot quicker. Um, and where you're good at giving your body nutrients and you sleep a lot and you know you're taking in oxygen, your body really heals quickly. Um, And similarly, um, you probably actually would be less inclined to break something in the first place. You maybe would break your fall and you wouldn't actually break the bone. And so from a psychological point of view, that's really what resilience is about. It's about looking at our soul. So psychology focuses on the soul. When you think of people, people are um, body, soul, and spirit. And so um, in psychology, we really zoom In on the mind the will your emotions which is your soul but obviously because tonight we in a church setting um we want to take into account all three aspects of our being so we're not just looking at psychology and psychiatry which would be the soul we're going to look at the spiritual aspect and we're also going to look at the physical aspect because from christian worldview we see ourselves as being tripart so body soul spirit um, and, be, and looking at resilience on and, and all of those levels. And what resilience would do is it would really help prevent kind of trauma um, or depression. So I, I just wanna add to what Miranda was saying is that um, for many of us, the last while has been pretty traumatic with coronavirus and, and in South Africa, particularly Um, You guys have been experienced in looting and 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 perhaps trauma is related to that. There's been loss of business for many people. People have had to deal with death. Um, There's just been changes in circumstances. I think the world has felt quite crazy, overwhelming, traumatic, um, very changeable. Miranda was speaking earlier about how predictability creates safety. and I think for many of us, our external environment doesn't feel safe necessarily anymore, and that can feel quite traumatic. In the most part, though, it would be like somebody who's gone for a run, maybe turned their ankle. Um, it's really sore in the moment. They get home, they put an ice pack on, and then probably in a few days they could get up and running again. And for the most of most, most of us who are healthy and functioning well. Um, that resilience is about just sustaining that so that if something comes and, and kind of interferes with our world, we're actually able to quickly recover from that. But for some of us, and this might be for family members, it might be for yourself um, or people that you know, that trauma or that, that grief or that depression actually becomes kind of what we would call clinicals. So it becomes diagnosable. And that's where people like me or like Jade get involved. And that's where your functioning has become impaired to such an extent. It's like the broken bone. So you're no longer able to walk on that ankle. You have to go in and get it repaired before you'd be able to get up and start exercising again. And that's where resilience also comes in. So resilience after the break is about okay well how can we repair how can we get up again how can we make good what what has been broken so i really want you to understand that there is a distinction that mental illness um is when there's kind of that break that takes place and there's a there's a breakdown and when i say functioning i would normally look at things like your daily functioning is impaired so it may be that you aren't able to sleep anymore you You've got insomnia and you just can't sleep because you're so stressed. Um, it may affect you on in your appetite that you can't eat anymore or maybe you overeat and you just are never full and you, you know you' visibly put on weight. Um, it might be affecting kind of your relationships that you don't want to talk to people you've pulled away um, or that you just have to be around people you can't be on your own anymore where previously you could. Um, and then things around work often as well. So you can't do the work that you would normally be doing you know, before. So that would be if you are employed or be going to work, if you are a student or a scholar, that would be going to school. Um, so the, thing, the daily tasks of life suddenly aren't able to be done. And then probably we're looking at a situation where that trauma, that grief has actually kind of compounded or, or become a clinical problem. Um, That's not going to be the majority of people. Most people, it would be that the trauma or grief is still on quite a functional, normal level. It's interrupted your life. It's important, as Miranda said, to take the time off to process it. But we also know that the brain and how God's created us and in our relationship with others and with God, there is a process of healing that almost naturally can take place like applying the ice pack and then your, your ankle gets better. So those are just some of the things I wanted to highlight. Um, I mean, if I, if I launch into, which is probably the practical, which is how do we actually develop resilience? Um, resilience isn't necessarily something, um, it, it is there. We are inherently born with a measure of it, but it definitely is something that we've got to cultivate and kind of work at um and so it's like anything i mean for those of you who do gym you'll know that if you do resistance training it often makes you really strong and and the word's pretty clear i mean god's word speaks often one of the verses i highlighted earlier when i was preparing was in from james 1 if you read from verse 2 to 8 i'm not going to read it out now but basically you know god's saying there that the testing of our faith produces that patience um And it's very clear, you know, like iron sharpens iron. um, Right throughout the Bible, the Lord actually explains to us that where there's testing, where there are obstacles, those are the things that actually produce the resilience that enable us to push through um, difficult circumstances. So I would say um, what I'd like you to consider And this is looking for yourselves on a personal level, but obviously looking at your families or your friendships when you may be helping others. One of the big things or the things that God said to us that we can do is we need to watch what comes in and we need to watch what goes out. And where where you've got stuff coming in, that's what you're seeing, it's what you're hearing, it's what you're eating or kind of taking in. And where you've got stuff coming out, that's basically what are you speaking? What are you saying? Um, what's kind of going through your body and being excreted? And if there isn't, firstly, a mindfulness or a guardedness around what you're allowing in, you aren't going to be as resilient because there's going to be toxins in your body, in your brain, in your soul, in your spirit. Um, those things are going to pollute you or they. They're going to inhibit you in terms of that healing process and if you are someone who's maybe okay with what you you, you're taking in you're quite measured or mindful but you store it all up and you aren't actually having that outflow um and this is quite key to many church settings where there isn't necessarily outflow where there isn't accountability or there isn't kind of investment in others beyond ourselves then actually we also still get sick. So it's like somebody who's eating and eating and eating, but it's almost become quite constipated and actually can't get stuff to go out. And, and that can really make you sick. So if you can bear that in mind, that when you're looking at these things, I want you to think of what am I allowing in and what am I giving out? And should I be changing that? Um, that's going to really help how you understand resilience. So I want to look at the three levels, the physical level, the soul or the emotional level and then the spiritual level so on a physical level if we want to build resilience um and this obviously gets harder and I'm um I'm kind of in that category sadly now I still think of myself as about 22 but I'm not um and so it's it's a thing now when I was younger I was really sporty I'm very active and it was just so easy it didn't really matter I could easily run like. A half marathon and a little bit of training and I'd be very sore obviously the next day but like if I hadn't done much it was fine because my body could take it whereas now like because of all these zoom calls and things like that I've got like a crick in my back and a crick in my neck and I'm having to think very seriously about Pilates and all sorts of things um, but it's because my body's obviously getting a bit older, and that kind of natural elasticity is not there as much, and so I've got to work harder to make sure I'm building that resilience so that I don't get injured so things like exercise really is important um particularly in the you know in the context of something like a world pandemic, the people who are fitter, the people that are stronger, there will be a resilience to prevent kind of contracting illness, <clears throat> but there will also be greater immunity and perhaps a a better ability to bounce back should you get ill, Um, you know, that's on a physical level. Diet is also a big thing. What are you allowing into your mouth? Um, What are you taking on board? And there's a lot of research. So one of the books I'd probably recommend if you've got time to read, um, Dr. Caroline Leaf is a wonderful author and she's just brought out a new book, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess. And what's lovely is that she speaks about the brain, helps you understand how do you actually detox your brain? Because for all of us in the world that we live, where information is so freely accessible, you know, we're taking stuff in all the time, but we're not necessarily allowing that time to detox and actually get rid of the thoughts that we've been having. Um, so on a soul level, you know, the the emotions that we may have, So physically, it really is quite important. I often say um, it's really good to have almost sort of a meditative task, um, like washing dishes. You don't have to think what you're doing. But if you take that time, you're quite quiet. It almost allows your brain to just process the things of the day, to think it through what was hard, what was not. Um, And that allows for that physical outflow to take place, which is really important. Um, so yeah I, think, I mean obviously it's a bit of a no-brainer but even stuff like you know keeping hydrated make su- making sure you're going to the toilet things like that sometimes we forget these things when we're so busy but it's really important for our physical health on a soul level an emotional level um, building resilience so one of the other authors I'd probably recommend is someone called Mark Comer And he wrote a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And that, again, if you look at the concept of, okay, what you're lying in and what are you letting out, I believe, yeah, I believe there's an agenda to keep us distracted, um, a spiritual agenda, and to keep us occupied, um, to keep us kind of almost like hamsters in a wheel, because I do think that that blunts us to relationship it means it's very difficult to engage with God with with our partners or our friends with our family um, it's difficult to engage with our children and it, it essentially numbs us in a way um, and and kind of kills us off you know makes us less effective so just be mindful of what you are allowing in and what you're allowing to distract you um, Social media is a big one. Um, I know it's very much part of our world. I know it's a way that often we do actually connect. But it's also something that actually kind of causes us to disengage. Um, It's often sort of happening, say, on your phone at night, before you go to bed, and it's taking sleep away from you. Um, It means that you maybe feel connected to people because you kind of know what they've said and done in their day. But actually, it wasn't because you had the conversation or spend time engaging with them. It's because you read it on social media. And so it gives us a pseudo connection, but it isn't actually ticking all the boxes that we need for a real-life relationship where um, where we get those endorphins from the relationship. And there's, like Miranda said, the physical touch that's involved. Um, there's that joy, um, there's that regulation that takes place. So so looking at resilience, how do we build that on a soul or emotional level? Um, Yeah, Sunday, it's just about saying that it's not busy with our work. Um, We're not on our phones or behind our computers. Ideally, we're out in nature, um, we're spending time with people, um at times and sometimes we're spending time with ourselves. Um, so what, some of the other things it's about switching off essentially. Um, you know, so I'll speak about it in the spiritual disciplines, but I do think um it's so important to create pockets of time where where there's solitude, where you actually, you know, some people go off for a few days. Um for children, you know, people who've got children, that's probably not another thing, but um it's really important to to slow things down to be mindful and connecting with God and connecting with yourself with what are the thoughts that I'm thinking what are the emotions that I'm feeling like Miranda was saying can I put a name to these um can I expel them in some way can I get them out of being in my mind and kind of worrying about to perhaps onto paper through journaling or maybe just like voice journaling you know Um, speaking it out, getting it out because it's about that outflow so that it doesn't crop up inside of us and cause either instability emotionally um, or toxicity. So yeah, journaling is a great one. Verbal expression, having friends that you maybe, I mean, the ideal would be to tick boxes simultaneously. So having a friend that you maybe go for a run with, which ticks the physical box of, You know, kind of building resilience, but you also can talk through things, really wrestle through um, any difficulties that you may be having, and having that accountability and that relationship. So really thinking about how you spend your time and being just flagging where there are times in your day or your life where time is sort of, I don't know, it's just kind of wasted and um, and almost yeah, you you're losing it in a sense. You're not really. Being a steward of that time and perhaps in some ways it's actually maybe toxic to you or um yeah it's not building resilience it's it's ebbing away or eroding that resilience that you have so lastly on a spiritual level um Richard Foster who is quite an old theologian and um, he's modern day theologian but, um he wrote his books sort of a few decades um, i think it's really powerful to read and, and and really kind of potent right now because i think sometimes we've lost the spiritual disciplines and so i do think one of the key aspects of building resilience particularly on a spiritual level is to look at things like you know being disciplined in your quiet times being disciplined in consuming what you're taking in the word of God, because that is truth, that is feeding your spirit. Um, being disciplined in satiating your thirst through the Holy Spirit. So praying in tongues, worshipping, um, making sure that you make time to do that. But that's something that's a priority for you and not just an obligation. Um, and looking at things like being disciplined at fasting, not because you want to lose weight or the church has told you to do it, but actually setting time aside to fast because fasting does bring you closer to God. It helps you to hear him. Um, And it's a discipline that actually builds resilience and strength, looking at things like spiritual solitude, looking at things like meditation, not meditation from a new age perspective, which is about emptying yourself and connecting with the soul, meditation from a from a christian christ-centered perspective which is about being able to actually develop that discipline of honing into god's holy spirit being able to put aside thoughts being able to put aside your physical body and actually really allowing your spirit to connect with god's spirit and i i don't think i think we've lost some of these things i think in some ways other religions and and other worldviews maybe do better than we sometimes do Um, when it comes to disciplining the soul and disciplining the body so that the spirit has governance over body and soul, if that makes sense. So why would this be important? Well, as I said, when we are fit emotionally, physically, spiritually, and we're resilient, we actually develop that elasticity. So what sometimes happens, and often when I sit with people who are suffering with anxiety, clinical anxiety, or um, even OCD, things like that, it's because there's this idea or this perception that if I can control my world um, external to me, then I can make things safe. And so there's an emphasis on control. um, And I do think that you know for most of us if we really kind of honest with ourselves um we often struggle with control so we struggle with regulation in a way that's healthy we struggle with self-discipline and we often err on the side of control which is either controlling too much um or it's kind of controlling too little where there's actually chaos and i do think that obviously self-control is one of um, one of the, the fruits of the spirit. So it's something as you draw near to you're God, gonna, you're gonna grow in that. But it is also something that you actually need to make kind of a goal that you're working towards. Um, and, and it is really important, I would say, to, to, to shift this perception and expectation around it, it, from being, if I can control the external world, then I'm gonna be safe, to actually, and this is what resilience is about, Resilience is saying, in spite of chaos in my external world, in spite of things being completely out of control at times, or incredible trauma or loss, in spite of grief, there is a place of homeostasis, of regulation, of safety that I have internal to me, um, based on my relationship with Jesus Christ, centered and founded on that, which gives me peace, which which God says, he says, he'll give us peace, which goes beyond our circumstances, which would guard our hearts and mind, which is our soul and our intellect in Christ Jesus. And so I really believe from a spiritual point of view, there is guaranteed for us a place in the midst of adversity where we can be at peace. And I don't believe that that peace is based on circumstantial kind of, um, calm you know calm circumstances being able to control everything god promises us that place of peace in the midst of adversity but i think for a lot of us it's really difficult to actually get there because we're so numb we're so hurried we're so overwhelmed that we almost kind of if we're looking at the out and the end we're taking on so much we're so overwhelmed by everything that that there isn't space for that peace because we kind of overburden and overladen um, so, if I think of some of the stumbling blocks um, that I just thought of very briefly, um, expectations are big ones. I think often people really become, um, you know, kind of fall into to mental ill health when the expectations that they have um, are not met in a certain, situ- certain situation and they can't control the circumstances external to them. So, often if we're able to shift our expectations, um, the same situation can feel very different when we look at it from a different perspective and so one of the things there's lots more that I can say tonight which I'm not going to but I know you've got another session next week but one of the things I would like to end with is to sort of say if you can also hold this in mind that it's really important for us so if you have a picture of this here is my thoughts, these are my expectations, these are my feelings, these are my um, ideas. And God has capacity and space for that. He's got capacity for us to be really angry. He's got capacity for us to swear and to be bad, to be sinful, like he knows those things. So it's really important that we're not false about it or try to put up a facade of coping. We need to be real, we need to be real with God, we need to be real and candid with ourselves, we need to be real and candid with the people that we trust and that we're in a relationship with. And we need to sort of get it out there, expel it and say it as it is. But what we also need to know and to understand is just because it's real and our truth doesn't mean that it's the truth. And as Christians, we need to look at this point of view which is that we believe from a Christian worldview that that there is truth, that there is absolute truth. And that truth is founded on the Bible. And so what I want you to always envisage is this picture of, hey, there's my truth and I need to get that out. Maybe that's sometimes distorted. Maybe that's, you know, sometimes not completely okay in terms of objectivity. But it's important I can get that out. Then I need to ask the Holy Spirit to show me the truth might be through counsel, it might be through reading the word and spending time with God, but actually asking them to say, what is the truth in this scenario? And then what bridges these two is faith. And so faith, it says in Hebrews, is the evidence of things not yet seen. And sometimes where people fall into difficulty, um, where trauma or grief or depression becomes overwhelming, is where this gap is too hard to bridge for them. And and it, it's almost like they feel like, well, in order to be a good Christian and, and, and now, what to, is going think, on here? I think someone's not muted. In order to be a good Christian, I need to say and do these things, but then I need to deny my feelings. Or the opposite is um, only my reality is the truth and there is nothing else. Um, that is actually the truth, and if I if if I acknowledge anything else, then my reality isn't truthful anymore, which isn't true. So it's about acknowledging both, but then faith is about asking God for that faith to be able to bridge that. Um, you know, asking God for um for maybe insight for a friend who's struggling with grief or trauma to sometimes you know sometimes just just spending time with the Holy Spirit and saying what are those key sometimes it's a word of knowledge of actually you know what this is so true what you're feeling and thinking but God's shown me this now, here's this but don't do it out of your own strength and don't make it up it's really something the Holy Spirit then shows you and then actually you can together with them believe and have faith for that bridge which which brings them in line or you in line or whoever may be in line with the truth of the word of God so yeah, I mean, I've got lots more to say, but I don't want to o- overshoot the time. Um, lastly, Hebrews 11,' two more verses I'd like to say. So Proverbs 13, verse 12, which is just about how hope deferred can make the heart grow sick. Um, and I think that's where a lot of people are at right now. So you know every time Cyril talks and our hope gets deferred in terms of what we expect circumstances to be. Um, we can become sick with, in depression, but it says, "But when desire comes, it's a tree of life." And then lo- the last thing is Hebrews eleven one, which says that faith is not based in circumstances; it's the substance of those things hoped for, the evidence of the things not seen. Um, so yeah, I think Rochelle, that's that's all from me for now. But I'm sure there'll be lots of questions, and um, yeah, hopefully we can, next week. Um, There'll be more on all of this. I think you are still, mute. oh, there you are, you are
0: Yeah, thank you, guys. Sorry, we're just trying to sort out all our technical issues, but we're not having a good night. <laughs> um, thanks, Anna Marie and Miranda. It's really helpful what you guys have shared with us. Um, and there's so many things that we can take, take out from it. Um, um, I think Maison also shared, uh, just type some of the things that Miranda said in the beginning in the chat. Um, Anna-Marie, I think you also mentioned a few titles. Uh, you mentioned Caroline Relief. Uh, maybe you can also put that in the chat if people would like to maybe read, um, get one of the books. And also I think the scripture that you mentioned was James, James 1. If you can maybe put that in the chat for us as well um please just so that we have it um yeah we thought maybe if we can i know the time is against us um we always think we're going to have a lot of time and and then it's not enough um (laughs) so but we i think we would like maybe just to um if there's someone that has a question that you would like to ask maybe we'll give time for maybe one or two questions um you can either just mute, unmute yourself and ask it live or you can pop it in the chat. You can send me a link.
4: Yeah, and then for, um, while, you, while you're posting your questions in the chat for now, um, for next week, we'd love to answer specific questions and um, just prepare for those questions in advance. So on the Linktree um, link where you found the Zoom link tonight, there is a link available to post questions anonymously. Um, those questions will then be discussed in detail next week. Um, Jade will be will be available for that, and there will be a few other um, mental health care professionals on the panel for next week as well. Um, then we'll be looking at some specific questions that you might have. Maybe in the week um, you think of something that you wish you thought of tonight or a question that you'd like to ask, um, please post it on LinkedIn. It will be available for the week. We'll only take it down, um, I think, next week, Tuesday. Um, or maybe Wednesday, because the the talk will only be next week, Thursday. The follow-up will be next week, Thursday, the 5th of August. It will also be at 7 o'clock again. Um, So if you have any questions, please pop them there. Um, Yeah, and then maybe Jade, you'd like to share something while people are just...
0: Can everyone still hear us? Um, Can you still hear us? They can hear the good. yeah I think
1: something that's always quite important for me to remember um, and then something that I also just try to help our patients to understand is that we experience not necessarily the traumatic event but how we respond to trauma is something that our body is designed to do Um, and I think we so often become afraid of, of what we're experiencing, and we feel so out of control, and maybe the nightmares are distressing, or we having flashbacks. But I think it's so important for us to also be mindful of the fact that we have those experiences for a reason. And it's really all part of our, our brains trying to integrate our experience into one cohesive memory so that we can kind of store it in a box and, and put it away. And when we try to avoid processing that and when we don't go through the process of navigating our traumatic experience what then happens is then we we don't form a consolidated memory and and that that issue or that event is not kind of resolved in our minds and then we have no control over that so what then happens is at the moments when we're not prepared for it or we're not wanting to think about it it kind of creeps up on us and it becomes what we call an intrusive thought or an intrusive image and so I really want to encourage us not to when these things happen we can't avoid the things that that we are exposed to and the things that we experience but we can actively pursue healing mm-hmm. and through the process and I think that that's really just something that I want to mm-hmm. encourage us all and and to know that there's no recommended time of how long we should grieve for <laughs> how long um, you know this process might take it's different for different people and as Marie said it also depends on resilience and our past experience and our kind of our own internal resources as to how we approach our traumatic experiences but there's no recommendation on mm-hmm. this is what's right and this is what's wrong and this is when we should be okay and it's going to look different for each person mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so really to just encourage everyone not to be critical of ourselves mm-hmm. when we are struggling um, and when we are facing these things, because there is no manual um, on how to to get through it.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think it is sort of, so important. We, um, a phrase I think that is so easily or often used that's almost become like something that we don't really know how to interpret necessarily is so we hear quite often that people say it's okay, um, it's okay to not be okay. But what does that actually mean? I think just. It's okay to acknowledge the pain that you feel. It's okay to acknowledge that there is grief, there is anger, there is, and to actually
2: allow yourself to be in a space of acknowledging and validating that pain
4: or validating that emotion. Um, we're not, not saying it's okay to be, sorry, can you, can you hear me now? Sorry, the computer sound is there. Is Certain spots, can you hear now? sorry i was just saying uh we often say that it's okay to not be okay and just to understand that we we mean that it's okay to be in a space to acknowledge your pain it's okay to to um, create a space for your pain to be validated for people to acknowledge that you're angry now and that's okay or (laughs) you're you're bitter and you're you're resentful or you're 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 afraid and that's okay. Or the, the loss that you're experiencing is, you're experiencing is, is intense and, um, and you don't know how to get up today and that's okay. I'm here or I'm listening or um, rather than rather than saying, yeah, well, at least this or at least <laughs> you, you lost your leg, your, your left leg, but at least you have your right leg. It's not okay to say stuff like that, but it is okay to say I'm sorry that that you're hurting Mm. today. Mm. I don't understand how that feels, but I'm here. Mm. Um, That must be quite hard. Um, Just Mm. to acknowledge that I'm not okay, and and that's okay. Um, Mm.
0: I see Cara has put up her hand. Cara, are you welcome to unmute yourself?
5: Hi guys, yes, I do have a question. Um, Maybe more for Am, um, just regarding resilience. Um, I just wondered, um, like in context of family life and having young, young kids, how do we facilitate, uh, just facilitate, facilitate um, in helping our kids to grow resilience? I know with with just having Luke and Ava, that's one of the things that. Uh, our teacher suggested, and it, it was something that I, I felt I didn't know how to facilitate it. Um, but just thinking that if we do have the chance uh, to facilitate resilience from a young age, how do we incorporate it into, our, into just life and knowing that we cannot control everything and life isn't perfect for them if they can understand that from a young age, um, that they do not need to control things and life and just uh, whatever. How do we help them to un- understand that? Um, yeah, it would be great if Em can answer that.
3: Sure. I mean, that's probably a session in and of itself. To be fair, um, but I'll do it like a five minutes justice. Um, So, but the principles are exactly the same, so um, it would be about, but obviously the only difference is is that for children, we are there to mediate on their behalf, Um, and we want to all the time be facilitating kind of them moving from a place of dependence on us, and Miranda was talking about that tiny baby that needs the parents to regulate and when a, when a parent does regulate their feelings, their emotions, their physical, their spiritual, their, their um, you know, kind of uh, soul experience, then the child is brought back to homeostasis. But as they get older, we want to facilitate and help them with the process of being able to do that for themselves. So one of the things I would say is a big thing in our society. You've got a lot of helicopter parents. You've got parents that are zooming in all the time and they're wanting to prevent their children from um, dealing with adversity. Um, Obviously that's, you know, that is something that's, um, that is the heart behind it is amazing. But actually, if we look at this, one of the major ways of building resilience is actually resistance. It's that the struggle, it is that perseverance, that patience. So I would say that it's more important to help your child process how, how difficult the situation may feel to give them the tools to act as that bridge, but not to obviate it, not to stop them, not to prevent them from experiencing that. Um, And that can go, you can look online. So there are things like um, helping a child to be a contributor, looking at age-appropriate chores. It's going to be hard for them. It's going to mean that they have to learn self-discipline. But that's what we want to teach them is how to be disciplined, how to care for their bodies, how to be thinking about what they're putting in, whether it be physically um spiritually, emotionally, you know how to so I don't think it's helpful to try and control the environment of our child all the time because then they never actually learn resilience. What we want to do is try to equip our children that no matter what environment they're put into they have discernment, they know how to respond in an appropriate way, they know when they need to call an adult in to come and help them, and they can ask for that help. But there are also times when maybe they're okay to take the risk to try something in and of themselves. So things like helping them to initiate in a situation, helping them to be creative. I mean, it's something I didn't even touch on, but I believe the the epitome, the highest form of resilience is creativity. And that's essentially what God gave us, is he made us in his image and he made us to be creative as he is creative. And I think that's one of the the issues of distraction and being hurried is that there's no room for us to even be quiet and still. And there's no room on that to be creative. And so the more that we can facilitate our children's creativity, which doesn't necessarily mean sitting down and drawing, it means being able to creatively solve a problem or to take initiation, to make mistakes. So, you know, if they say something that's stupid, don't climb on top of them and tell them how wrong they are. Explain to them, okay, that's a great you know suggestion, but what about this and this and, you know, um, think about it in this way. But but really not shutting them down, actually trying to open things up and helping them to be resilient and resourceful and creative. Um, as I said, like this could really be a session in and of itself. Um, But yeah, I guess the main thing would be don't prevent them from being able to conquer adversity. Um, And I think the other thing around emotional sort of soul level resilience is, I would say a good thing is at the end of the day or the end of the weekend, um, just to create a little gap, sometimes on the school trip home, things like that, where you do it little check-in and you say, how was your day? You know, what was your highlight? What was your low light? This is what mom, like this is what my day was like. So it's important for children to also learn to listen to somebody else and to develop that empathy. So those are good ways to build that emotional resilience where they can, again, it's about, okay, what has been coming in, coming in all day long? And they may be feeling totally overwhelmed and have a temper tantrum normally that's not a temper tantrum that's just I'm exploding because I'm overwhelmed and if you can help them to find ways to get that out in a way that feels safe for them that they feel that they can express themselves give words to what they're feeling that's that regulation and that builds resilience because then that same child will not feel overwhelmed in that situation they'll feel equipped to deal with it Um, and then they won't Avoid it, or become, you know, overly anxious, or perhaps um, depressed, or self-sabotage. If that makes sense.
4: Thanks, Anri. Um, I think Link- Linka also has her hand up.
6: Thanks, Miz. And Anri, have another uh, resilient-focused question for you. Um, there's a Harvard Business Review article that did its rounds a few months ago, saying that, <clears throat> that laugh. That blah thing you're feeling, it's, it's called lethargic. Um, and I think where I'm struggling with building resilience or with coming to grips with everything that's happening around us is not necessarily that my my ankle is sprained and it needs ice. It's just almost chronically stiff or chronically um, you know hurting to a degree where I can run. So there's nothing to complain about, but I'm not necessarily... Um, running p b s um just to continue with a metaphor yeah. you know, yeah. to to be excellent in the workplace to be um, a good steward of community and to you know be your full self that you call to be how you know how do you how do you first acknowledge that um, and whilst not having a pity party and you know somehow return to that state of of your full full being
3: I, th- I mean, I think what I would say on that is it's hard you whenever there's a symptom. So there's an indication of something's not quite right. And so in that scenario, it would be there's this niggle. It's not bad enough to kind of incapacitate me, but I can definitely feel like I'm compromised. Um, I I would say you need to listen. So you do need to attend to that. You don't need to just say, look, suck it up and push through. Um, and so in, in that situation, it may be that lethargy you describe is actually burnout. Um, and I do think, you know, that's, that verse from Proverbs 13 speaks a little bit about that. That's that hope deferred. So where you really amped, you've got your goal, you've been training, and then they're like, oh, sorry, guys, race cancelled. And then you're like, okay, cool, like next training pro. oh, sorry, there's another COVID-related cancellation. And then when it gets to kind of the fourth time, you're sort of like, like I peaked three races ago. It's really hard to get up because I don't even know if there's going to be a race anymore. And I'm finding it really difficult to keep motivated. And there's a bit of a burnout, you know, sort of, of it's hard to get up each day and to keep consistent in this. So some of those things are, I do believe that this is a season of digging deeper. So one of the pictures that the Lord showed me a while back is that, Like it's almost as if we we trees rooted, um, but there is a drought and those kind of shallow roots aren't actually um, deep enough to sustain the growth that's coming and the capacity that this tree needs. And so what happens in in a situation like that is a tree actually stops growing on top and it almost goes dormant and then it starts pushing down roots to go deeper and deeper and deeper till it reaches like an underground water source or whatever it may be. And I do believe that this is what this season prophetically has been with COVID and kind of, you know, with a lot of what people have have been faced with is that there's actually been a, a dormancy, a shutting down. And on the outside, for many people, it may look like, like, I don't even feel like I'm running for anything anymore. But what I would encourage you is don't stop running but also be okay if you're not doing your PBs. So the importance of the season is the discipline of to keep persevering because it's perseverance that produces the hope. And so there's something about like consistently you're getting up, consistently you're building that resilience even if you're not seeing bulging and you're like running you know, like, well, that's not the point because what you do is you're building and it's that muscle memory that's going to help you when you are actually forced to sprint and the other thing is I believe there's a season coming where we are going to see a growth that's exponential so it's where the kind of we start seeing like the harvester the, the reaper overtaking the harvester but the only reason that that's happening is that there's been this period of perceived dormancy but it's so that there's this deepening of those roots and 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 a kind of you know a drenching in a deeper spiritual or emotional physical experience and that's going to bring um you know the longer term growth so what i would probably say on that is you need to change expectations so i think you're probably looking at your short-term goals you're probably looking at like what's happening on a daily basis things like that You need to, if you look at the metaphor, I'd probably almost say like, yes, you need to be disciplined and keep that going. But in some ways, perhaps quit the training program. Maybe just start getting up and running for the love of running. Maybe leave your tracking device at home and like just be disciplined and getting out there and doing stuff. But then open to the Holy Spirit to say like, what is this about? And then he might be dropping into your spirit. Like, you know, actually, I want you to be doing triathlon. And you're training in the wrong way because you thought this was long distance, but I need you to be sprinting. I need you to be doing fitness. Um, and I want you to get in the water because you're on land. And you should be at, 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 in the in the water. So I would say, you know, manage your expectations, go back to God, ask him to perhaps reroute you in some ways, like in terms of your, your, your GPS and where you're headed. Um, because I think there is a season change, but don't, don't give up. Don't stop. Keep pushing through and persevering. Even if you can't see the, the fruit right now, um, it doesn't mean there isn't growth.
6: Thanks. That's, that's really powerful.
4: Phew, that's, um, that is really insightful. Thanks. Um, thanks. Anne-Marie. Um, I think that's, that's the time that we have for this evening, but, um, Something that we'll talk, be talking about more at length next week um, is the topic of burnout as well. Um, so Jade will be sharing um, a lot a lot more about that because I think that's something that we're all experiencing to a degree. Um, and I think it's something that's important for us to actually be able to identify um, in ourselves first and then um, in those around us and how to help ourselves first, then also those around us. Um,
0: you know, I don't know, Rochelle, did you want to say... Um, No, we will also try and have. um, I know. I think this start of conversation always um, brings up a lot of questions, Mm -hmm. and you start recognizing things in yourself. um, And some, maybe some of you might feel that you need to talk to someone. So we will um, try and have a list ready, um, just with people that you names of people that you can reach out to. Um, We'll also try and put all the books that um, Emily shared. Um, and if there's any other books, Mizan also thought about a book for um, just pertaining to resilience in kids. Um, so we'll we'll have this list uh, made up. So and just make it available for anyone who needs it, um, and also a list of people that you can contact if you need to to talk to someone. Um, if you feel if God has shown you something specific that you need to talk to um, mm-hmm. someone about, um, yeah. And I think that is that. So please remember to to go to the um, to the linktree account to the link uh, that Mezen set up so that we can have questions. Uh, I think the speakers would like to prepare mm-hmm. properly um, for the questions that you might have. Um, and yeah, feel free to share. It is anonymous. If you, if you don't want to be put on the spot, it is anonymous. And I think we're all here. We all want to grow together. We all have such a lot to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are going through many different things that we haven't <laughs> we haven't gone through five years ago. We didn't expect to be the place where we are now. Um, so there's a lot of emotional things to navigate just figuring out how you feel about what is going on in yourself or figuring out what you're feeling um that is already a big thing so um yeah please please share your questions on the link um and come back next week Thursday we uh, we meet again um at seven o'clock um just to, to and it's just the start of a conversation we might have another conversations later in the year um so yeah let's just trust God together to come and yeah you know, share these lights on um on uh, and what we need as individuals um and as congregation members well. Wow.
4: yeah and marie and miranda thank you so much for for your time this evening it you guys have really um it's really been an insightful starter conversation and our, as as Rochelle said now this is really our hardest for this to be the start of a conversation of an ongoing conversation um and, um, yeah, for us to be able to be light, I think the picture that we had in mind was, um, you know, in, in an airplane when they're explaining all the rules to you, then they say if there's a loss in cabin pressure, first, first put your mask on yourself and then help those around you. And I think that's that's what we trust in God for is for us as a body to be able to know how to help ourselves first and then to be able to identify those around us that need help and then knowing how to actually extend help Um and create spaces to um, to really be safe spaces for those around us. And be light to those around us. Um, yeah. Great. Right. Okay. I'm going to just pray for us. Father God, we just thank you, God, for your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, that... Um, yeah, you know, Lord, before we are able to see anyone, God, you see us first. Thank you, Lord, that you see... Our deepest, darkest moments, Lord, that nobody else sees God and that you love us there, thank you, God, Lord, that you promise that you'll never leave us nor forsake us, Father, and that you know, God that you promise lord that that you are the one that gives us both both the ability and the desire to follow you, and that you promise that you'll complete the work that you started in our hearts and in our lives to um to complete it till the day that we see you, Father. And God, we pray, Lord, for every word spoken this evening, Father God, that it will be deep-rooted in fertile ground and bear fruit, good fruit and fruit that remains, Father. Now, oh Lord, we pray, Lord, that, that your body will be light to those around us, God. And Father, that you come and bring healing and restoration in us first, Father, for the sake of those around us, God, that, that we will be able to comfort those around us the way that you comfort us, Father. And God, may you be glorified and may we see your kingdom come in Jesus' name, Father. And we pray your blessing over Anne-Marie and Miranda, Father, and Jade, as they've shared this evening and um, you're know, really just really shared what you have taught and showed them, Father God, and the experience that you've given them, God. And we pray, Lord, that you bless them. Lord, that you bless the work of their hands, Father, and that you give them insight and vision, Father. And Lord, that you give them hope, Father. hope to impart and be light where they are. We pray, Lord, for a time of refreshing for them. Believe. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys, for joining. We really look forward to to next week. Um, and send us those questions. Thank you,
0: guys. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's
3: greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our
2: website at www.shofar.joberg.com.